0: All right. Hello, everybody. I am here today with Brandon Duke. Uh, I'm really excited to talk with Brandon and learn more about his story. Um, But before we kind of get into that, um, Brandon is on the board of the UCA, which is the Unitarian Christian Alliance. And uh, I I just wanted to give a, a shout out and a plug that the Unitarian Christian Alliance is having a conference october 15th through 17th this year in nashville tennessee um i will put a a link to the website for that down in the description but brandon do you want to tell us about that conference
1: yeah thanks i'm extremely excited about it um for a lot of reasons one of them is the speaker lineup if anybody goes to the actual website uh follow the link um check out the actual schedule and uh for anybody that's, that's familiar with Unitarianism or that's sort of in the movement, I think they'll be very excited at the speaker lineup. There's people that have been Sam's guests in the past and, uh, and others, and I've gotten a sneak peek at some of the topics too, and I, I think people are going to find it really useful. Mm-hmm. Um, it's going to be three days of uh, pretty nerdy theological talk <laughs> in the best sense of the word um, with people that are, they've been preparing for, for months. And, um, uh, the idea is to have it be, um, sort of an academic type conference rather than, uh, say converge, which was really a great family time and an opportunity for, uh, for lots of people to come together. This is really more oriented towards, um, people that are, that are really interested in sitting through, uh, a dozen hours of pretty intense <laughs> lectures mm-hmm. and then fellowshipping afterwards and and uh and getting the opportunity to to network with other unitarians i mean we really see uh you know because this thing was delayed last year due to covid it's really our first opportunity for uca members to to really get together mm-hmm. and uh, so we're, we're really excited about that and the venue we have is 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 nice it'll fit uh sounds like up to maybe 200 people and and uh there's going to be food so that, uh, it's, once you get there, you can just focus on, on what's happening. And, uh, we're, uh, like I said, we're, we're inviting all Unitarians to, to, to come out and join us. Um, there will be, um, edited versions of the, the presentations that will get posted to YouTube, but, uh, but don't, don't miss out at the the opportunity to actually, Mm -hmm. you know, rub elbows with people that you agree with. Um, it's pretty valuable. So, so come join the first one. It's, it's going to be fun.
0: Yeah, I, I I'm excited. Um, it's it's just a different experience to actually meet people in person in real life than I feel like for so many of us. Too much of our lives have been online for the last year and <laughs> a half, two years, um, and and that it, I'm I'm really excited to uh, get to. I, I've met actually I've met a decent number of you guys in person cuz I was at Converge. I met mm. I met you. I met mm-hmm. um, Dale Tuggy, Keegan Chandler, Bill Schlegel, um, and I think Jerry Warewell too. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm looking at the the speaker list. I don't know Dr. Stephen uh, uh mm. I'm not sure if I've interacted with him before.
1: I have not met him yet either, but I've been doing a little bit of research before the the conference. I got to look at some of his work and he's quite the expert on Isaac Newton and newton's uh religious views and um and what he's got lined up for us um for the conference is interesting too it's it's a historical figure that i that i had not been familiar with i had to google him <laughs> um and it sounds like a really interesting figure and a, an inspirational and insightful story for unitarians so um so yeah i'm excited here snowblin and and uh, you know it'll be bill schlegel and patrick navas and Um, And a bunch of the folks that you already mentioned. So yeah, Mm it should be good.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, And we'll be, it will be in Nashville, Tennessee. Um, There's uh, hotels and stuff nearby to the conference should be pretty. Nashville is a good central location uh, in terms (laughs) of the United States. And it's also sort of a hub of, of Unitarianism there. I think uh, Dale Tuggy and Bill Schlegel and uh, others uh, go to, uh, a church um, in Nashville that seems to be one of yep. the the most I don't know maybe thriving or successful biblical Unitarian churches in the country.
1: Yeah, it doesn't hurt to be able to fellowship with Dale Tuggy and Bill Schlegel on a regular basis. So yeah, Unitarians have been sort of flocking there. Um, I know several that have moved for exactly that purpose, and uh, I envy them a tad. <laughs> my uh, my work life doesn't allow for that kind of flexibility, but uh, but I understand why why people are drawn. It's yeah, it's a good spot. It's maybe it's in the suburbs. It's maybe, um, 15 minutes North of Nashville. And there are within 10 minutes of the, of the conference site, there's over a dozen hotels. So whatever your, your, uh, flavor is it's there. Exactly. And there's, uh, there's food. And, um, if, if people need help with transportation or anything like that, um, you know, they can, they can mark that when they register and we can help get people connected with, uh, with local folks that can help them get where they need to go. And uh, yeah, indeed the, uh, there's the big, the big church there in white house and folks there have graciously uh, been willing to help get us prepared for it. So yeah. we're uh,
0: Well, great. I, I hope that, that people that are interested will, will follow up on that and, uh, and I'll put, the links to the conference and registration and all that, so look in the description if you're interested. Um, I want to talk about the Unitarian Christian Alliance, but before we do that, I want to back up and, and learn a little bit more about Brandon. Um, mm-hmm. I, like I said, I, I've met you before. I was at the Converge conference two years ago, and I can remember having, there was that one conversation I remember after like the last presentation at night where a whole bunch of people just like stood on the sidewalk, uh, for like two hours hours or something like that. Yeah.
1: Yeah. The gospel of John has a way of doing that to people. right? (laughs) You can't help, but, uh, but stand around and and talk about it, No, I'll never forget that. I, it was, uh, yeah, it was really fun meeting you in a, in that kind of way. (laughs) Yeah. And yeah, that was a, that was a really cool event. And, um, kind of pivotal, I I think, in my life personally, but I think for other people that attended it, that it was a, it was a really meaningful thing. So hopefully that the UCA conference can kind of carry that banner that, that uh, that Converge got, got going.
0: Yeah, great. So, um, so tell me a little bit about what your, your faith journey has been like, your, your upbringing, and how did you come to end up to be on the board of uh, the Unitarian (laughs) Christian Alliance?
1: Yeah, it's, uh as it always is uh it's a a long story for people so i'll try to make it uh not so long and not so boring i i grew up a preacher's kid um and uh in some ways i i listened to your your uh your interview with sean finnegan and in a lot of ways i i see parallels in our stories we both came out of uh groups that from the outside were usually considered cults (laughs) we're both preacher's kids um we both end up having to answer for our that tradition, even though by the time we were teenagers, we weren't even in it. Yeah, <laughs> um, I was a part of a group called I grew up in. Let me phrase it that way. I grew up in a, a group called the Worldwide Church of God, led by a guy mm-hmm. named Herbert Armstrong.
2: Yeah,
1: and uh, he was just a radio preacher from the uh, Church of God Seventh Day Seventh Day Adventist kind of uh, wing of of Protestantism, and he had built this he had built this fairly thriving ministry with something like a hundred thousand members across the planet. And they had a uh, they had a Christian college. They actually I had two. They had one in Pasadena, California. That's where I was born. Uh, while my parents were in college there, and then I grew up on their other college campus in East Texas, in Big Sandy, Texas. And uh, so my my childhood was full of uh, of fun. They had horses and uh, and a, a great ag program and all that stuff. So uh, there was always fun stuff to do. I, always, I had great babysitters. <laughs> there was always college kids that would take us to do fun stuff. But about the time I was 12 or so, uh, Armstrong passed away and there was a power struggle uh, within the church. And uh, It's
0: almost eerily <laughs> similar. Yeah, <laughs> it, is.
1: it is. And um, and so my father actually ended up resigning in protest as the the church. It was not Unitarian. It was Binitarian, although a little bit of yeah, could- required there.
0: Yeah, go go into what was the Christology uh, and theology of uh, of Armstrongism or Worldwide Church of God? What what, what did he teach? Because it, it's kind <laughs> of unique. I was I, I know a couple other people that that grew up in that tradition. It, it's a it's a unique thing that that is is a little bit hard to categorize.
1: Yeah, I agree. And I, I would add that it depends on where you were within that organization. It wasn't monolithic. Although they thought it was, as most somewhat authoritarian organizations do. Everyone thinks they're on the same page. And then when everybody starts talking, they realize they're not. and <laughs> You get mm-hmm. jerk splits. Um, so I've gone back and done a little bit of reading on this and uh, listened to some old sermons of Armstrong's. Uh, kind of in retrospect, after learning much more about the Trinity, I, it was not on my radar as a teenager. <laughs> it was, it was uh, things like the law and, you know, they were a, a Torah observant. Uh, group. And so that was really the distinctive for them. It was Sabbath keeping and food laws and holy day observance and all that stuff. But they all he also taught this kind of um it's almost a hybrid view of sort of if, if you can have a Trinity, but just remove the Holy Spirit from it. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and instead of referring to it as the Godhead, he'd refer to it as the God family.
2: Mm-hmm. And there
1: was this real emphasis on what I would call theosis today, which I don't know that they ever used the term, right. but the idea that in a resurrection that people are going to join that, that family. And so it was more by analogy than by explicit teaching. I've, I've heard uh, worldwide church of God, you know, splinter group, uh, preachers uh, affirm the co-equality and the co-eternality of Jesus um, as the word. And um, I've heard others that were very subordinationist. I mean, my, my own dad, I've gone back through his notes and some of his old sermons that I've got and uh, he would, I would define him as an Aryan, uh, mm-hmm. not a binitarian. Yeah. So, um, so I guess I get my Unitarianism, honestly, even if I didn't know that's what it was yeah. growing yeah. up. Um, but yeah, I would argue that, that Armstrong's theology on this was really confused. Uh, there's a clip that maybe I'll send you from when he's 70 or so years old. And he, he gives an entire hour long sermon on basically this whole subject and he contradicts himself repeatedly. It's just a confused mess. And it just wasn't a focus for people. Um, I also read in the 70s, they put together a, uh, a committee to put together a systematic theology for the group. <laughs> and it got to uh, draft stage before the kibosh got put on it. Mm. And it got put in a drawer, uh, because it raised too many prob- <laughs> troublesome <laughs> questions. Uh, so uh, if you're going to have an authoritarian uh, church, don't create a systematic theology committee apparently um, <laughs> or at
0: least have a systematic theology before you do <laughs> that's right
1: that's right whoever's going to be in charge you better have it in your pocket uh, and not be figuring out as you go yeah. so um so anyway that's that's some so some start to there so as a teenager i watched that split apart and it split because as armstrong died uh his successor and some others that that were in that key circle started re-examining the doctrine of the trinity Uh, a couple of key, uh, key members of the church were going to Fuller Seminary, um, and basically just got turned around. And so rather than, you know, walking away from the church, they decided they were going to save the church uh, for uh, evangelism. And, uh, and within a few years, by 1997, the church was fully Trinitarian. Uh, They'd abandoned Sabbath, Sabbath keeping. Uh, They were they were basically—you could walk across the street to the First Baptist Church and be in the same, be in the mm-hmm. same same yeah, place. They,
0: they had melded back into something recognizably yeah. mainstream evangelical yeah. or
1: thereabouts. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Um, and from and for for some good reasons, right? I mean, there were some the the um, the clergy laity structure that it had developed was really unhealthy, and um, so there were some good reasons that the that the church needed ref, needed reform. Um, but for people like my dad who had had consciously rejected the trinity and 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 other doctrines it was you know it's a bridge way too far so uh, so when i was i guess 12 years old my dad resigned i had from his position at the college uh, Um, when when armstrong was alive
0: was it like a self-conscious part of the church's identity that they were not trinitarian yeah as a yeah
1: yeah and if you look at their materials it's really interesting they'll they'll do you know, an article in one of their publications about how terrible the Trinity is. And they follow the same kind of arguments that biblical Unitarians do today. Uh, look, it's not in the New Testament, it's not in the Old Testament. Uh, boom, 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 boom. And then they get to that, those, those Logos theologians in the second century. And, uh, and then they kind of agree with them. Yeah, <laughs> um,
0: I mean, it's not that dissimilar from like Justin Martyr, really.
1: Yes, that is the closest thing I'd compare it to is, is Justin Martyr. Um, mm-hmm. where the, he you know he's got a second God. I mean, that's the way they talked about about Jesus so that he's a second God in the God family. Yeah, um, and,
0: and that and the, <laughs> that the goal is that like Jesus brings his divinity down to us and that we can get lifted back up into the divinity yes. that Jesus has so that we can be like uh, adopted children. Jesus is yeah. the the true God's son. And then we yes. become sort of adopted God's sons through Jesus, but God, the father is sort of above and atop the family or yeah. something.
1: Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and that's where it gets interesting because some of the theology is very subordinationist, but then they'd also make these, these co-equality claims from time to time between the two. So I just think mm. it was contradictory. <laughs> I just think yeah. it was, it was just an error, but yeah, if you compare it to Justin Marta, I think that's the closest analogy. And I remember my dad talking about when he was, at their, um, at their college, you know, being trained for the, for the ministry, he described it that history, there was this veil of, of silence from the time of the, you know, end of the apostles. to you know, two or 300 AD and that's what they'd been taught. And so there was just this blind spot, you know, I mean, to be fair, this is before the internet. It's not all of the, most of these guys weren't professionally or they weren't academics. Mm -hmm. So they just didn't, um, they didn't have visibility into some of the church fathers that, I think is more easily available now
2: yeah
1: um and so yeah i just think they made some basic mistakes kind of rolling back the clock but not far enough that'd be Mm -hmm. my my assessment so um so yeah we we left that and went to one of the splinter groups my dad was a pastor one of the splinter groups for my my late teens i had had a belly full i was a i was pretty well an agnostic by that point (laughs) been turned off by church and was trying to hold on to my my theism and uh and i stopped attending Oh, I don't know, about the time I was 15 or 16, and I spent the last, I'm um, pushing 40 now. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I have spent the last couple of decades trying to rebuild my Christian faith and re-examine everything, and uh, the Trinity was kind of late in, the, in that game. It was only, I don't know, four or five years ago, where I was listening through a William Lane Craig Sunday School course called Defenders, which is actually pretty good. <laughs> Uh, as a way of doing sort of a survey of christian theology and he he laid out what i had never heard before as an adult which is the chalcedonian model for for christology and he described these buoys in the you know in the, in the river and you got to stay between you know between these two two buoys of full humanity and full divinity and i remember pausing my my podcast app and saying I don't think this at all. This seems totally wrong. Surely this isn't what other Christians think. This weird two natures thing. I just had never been exposed to it. It wasn't, How it wasn't did, a part of Because
0: if, if Armstrongism um, believes in like Jesus's pre-existence, then they, they have to believe in an incarnation of some variety. Uh, did they Did they just mm-hmm. not explain that very much? Did they, did they go to one side of the buoy or the other?
1: So this is where, because it wasn't a focus pastors were all over the place <laughs> yeah, yeah there were there were lots of kenosis guys that's my dad i described my dad as a kenosis guy where the logos was eternal but but uh subordinate to the father and then there's this sort of canonic incarnation right where he gives where it he all leaves up.
0: divinity behind and then takes on humanity yeah yep. and yep. so it's a so jesus would be really it would emphasize his humanity yes. while he was uh on earth Yep. Um and, and like, like his powers got you know stopped at the door between <laughs> heaven and earth or something like that
1: yeah and I like I said uh, by listening to William Lane Craig you can tell where my interest lay it was it was in Christian apologetics and, and analytic theology um, and so I was you know reading about um, perfect being theology and, and those kinds of things leading up to that. I was really interested in, in divine foreknowledge and became an open theist. And, um, and some of these other questions, I kind of stumbled into this, into incarnation, because it just hadn't been, like I said, hadn't been on my radar. And, uh, and I guess, you know, we all kind of come home to where we start sometimes. (laughs) And, uh, and it just, the, the dual natures, uh, Christology just didn't work for me. And, uh, incarnation Christology doesn't work for me now either because I, I have no idea how you maintain identity through that process. Um, that's that's other than the biblical argument. That's my biggest complaint is I don't understand how you can become a fetus and still retain everything that you had before. Yeah. Um, and so that led me looking for other materials on the Trinity. And I actually, uh, I had no idea the biblical Unitarian world existed. Uh, I didn't even know what a Unitarian really was. Uh, other than even though
0: you kind of kind of was one <laughs>
1: yeah yeah. <laughs> um, so I uh, so I started searching for materials and I found Dale Tuggy's Trinity's podcast
2: mm-hmm.
1: and uh, six months later I'd listened to I think there were 200 and something episodes of that I binged listened to all of them which led me to uh, Sean Finnegan and Keegan Chandler's book and Anthony Buzzard's work and you name it right all the these Unitarian figures. Um,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and I was, I was bought in and, uh, and so I knew no one and, uh, and, but I wanted to, I wanted to get, get connected to some people because we're just out here in a home fellowship, right. Kind of isolated. And, uh, so I signed up for restoration fellowships, theology conference in Georgia, uh, back in like 2016 or 17. And apparently they just let anybody come because they, they let me just show up uh, persona non grata. And, uh, and I walked up to Dale Tuggy and stuck out my hand. I said, Dr. Tuggy, hi, I'm Brandon Duke. You don't know me from Adam, but thank you very much for your work. And, mm-hmm. and he was very gracious and uh, not too freaked out. And- uh, i sure now- he has that happen from time to time. <laughs> I, I, I did that
0: to him too one time, so. Yes.
1: <laughs> um, And that actually that weekend was the first that I heard about the the idea of the UCA forming Mm -hmm. because it became obvious that for guys like me and many, many others and gals um, we came to this theological position. And then we're like, well, what do we do now? Um, Mm -hmm. You know, where do we go? What are our options? You know, I was researching uh, Unitarian denominations and different churches and trying to kind of get the lay of the land and um you just walk around in a fog you don't you don't know what's out there you don't even know what your your options are and then you also kind of feel this this urge to to spread it you know it's like if this is true boy that the world really needs this and so um i'll never forget standing in the parking lot listening to dale and keegan chandler you know talk about this idea listening to them and sean finnegan and others talking about it around a table and i was just bought in I, i said i want to be a part of this in any way that i can and uh and uh Years later, I got to got to help participate in in sort of moderating some of these Facebook groups because I'm fairly active on Facebook, and uh, and yeah, a few months ago I got invited to participate on the board of the board of the UCA, and uh, one of my ro- roles is is to try and keep the the social uh, the social media stream filled, <laughs> which. I fail at on a regular basis, but we've we've got some video content out there. And um, well, it takes something like a saint to moderate a Facebook group. So (laughs) someone (laughs) far better than me. I know that. Like, uh, no, it's, it's entirely true. And when you have a a purpose like the UCA does of uniting Unitarians that share unit that Unitarian theology, but really not much else. Mm -hmm. Uh, They're diverse across a lot of other views. Yeah. Yeah. It becomes a, becomes a real challenge to say, yeah, let's, Let's make sure and share what we we think with each other, so we can find like-minded Unitarians. Um, and let's do it in a spirit of charity and and goodwill. Um, when when people tend to get heated, and you know, Unitarianism doesn't necessarily normally draw the meek and the quiet. It's, it's that <laughs> yeah, be, that's, that's a good point. <laughs> uh, it's people that tend to be pretty invested in whatever it is they're doing. Yeah. Um, and mm-hmm. so it can be full of firebrands and whatnot, but. Um, you know, it's just a Facebook group. The actual UCA, you know, website is where the real the real value is because people can register there and they can they can actually put themselves on the map, not too specific to their zip code. Yeah. Um, so, and,
0: so what is the Unitarian Christian Alliance and 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 what's its purpose?
1: Okay. Thanks. Sorry. <laughs> um, so it's it's missions twofold. The first is to connect like minded Unitarians because very often we're scattered, we're on our own, kind of like my story.
2: Yeah.
1: And, uh, and so to that mission, there's a there's an online directory, people can go for free to the website, they can register, I, I did this, and it puts a dot on your zip code that there's a Unitarian there, or a Unitarian church, you can register your church, or your home fellowship, or whatever you've, you've got going. Um, and then people can go on and look, and they can find you or you can find them. And you can use the, the messaging tool within it to, to reach out to somebody and say, hey, you know, w- what do you guys think? W- what are you doing? And try and, find, try and find some fellowship. And then the second mission is just to promote Unitarian theology to the rest of the Christian world. Um, and to that, actually there's, there's quite a bit of things that we're trying to do. There's a, there's a publishing wing of the, of the UCA that's, that's, working on, uh, that's working on publishing Unitarian works there's the little social media committee, uh, where we're trying to, we're trying to use social media to to get the word out. And, uh, and there's some other, there's some other things that we have going, including, uh, this, what I think is really important this conference where Unitarians can, can get together. Like there's, there are a lot of uh, really good Unitarian content creators out there. Lots of great blogs. I love this for what it's worth. Now I'm going to plug you. (laughs) I love the channel. Um, I love the people that you've had on. I, I really enjoy it. Um, and I think it's, it's really valuable. And there's a lot of there's a lot of that out there. And so one of the things that I'd like to see happen from the conferences, is, is content creators and others um, can come together and network to make ourselves even more effective and encourage others that they would like to have a voice to get to get out there and to enable that. So, um, I mean, in some sense, we'd like to take over the Christian world with, with Unitarianism. Don't, don't
0: tell um, them that. Don't tell them
1: that. <laughs> well, I got to tell you right now, if I could get William Lane Craig to come out and denounce us, that would be great. Uh, I would take it. Uh, and, and, and some more. There's, there's, there's just a, a shocking lack of awareness. I mean, even a guy like me that grew up basically in a somewhat Unitarian world. I didn't have the word for it. I didn't have the the mental map. I I honestly didn't know the word
0: biblical Unitarian until a couple of years ago. And then when I heard it, I like probably searched on Wikipedia. I'm like, Oh, yeah. Yeah, That that's right. That's what I believe. But yep. I, I I just growing up, I was I we didn't believe we weren't Trinitarians, right? <laughs> we didn't think Jesus was God. Yeah. And that was we did. But we didn't have a theological label or I, yeah. I was unaware, really, that anyone unrelated to the group that I had kind of come from, had a similar idea. So
1: yeah, likewise, and there was something um I mean, some of that, I think it was just honest. I mean, I, I'm reminded my mother, I think won't mind me saying this, but I'm like, mom, how did you guys not know about this wider world of, of there's all this scholarship about, you know, the first and second century. And, and there's all this stuff about, you know, the, the fourth century councils, like how did, how is this not you know, just an obvious part of the, of the teaching? She's like, Brandon, you gotta remember, this is before the internet. What mm-hmm. we had for information were like magazines and correspondence courses. And, there was just limited information for a lot of people and particularly for you know my folks were uh former southern baptists that you know uh not a long list of of highly educated folks in, in my line a lot of uh, southeast missouri cotton pickers and so um yeah i think maybe we're just coming to a point in history where the the access to information is changing things and you know a guy like me that that uh we, you and i can go to wikipedia and say oh yeah that's it. And then mm-hmm. we can go to YouTube and we can find dozens of videos from people talking about it from all different sides and we can, we can, you know, make up our minds. That's a, that's a special and unique thing. That just has not existed in history until now. Um, so mm-hmm. I'm excited to see what happens from it. And the UCA is trying to, to position itself um, to, to help with that. And yeah. it's not a church, it's not a denomination. Right. This is important. To help it. Yeah. Yeah. This, <laughs> I, this isn't a church. There's lots of people that are going to be in the UCA alongside you if you join. Um, that You're going to have serious theological disagreements with that you mm-hmm. might not even uh, join in communion with. Um, but look, we do this all the time with other with other topics. Right. With, you know, for people that are uh, that are concerned about the, the doctrine of eternal conscious torment. Um, there are plenty of groups pushing back on that. And if you're a pro-lifer, you join arms with all kinds of people uh, in, in that, in that. And, you know, if the NRA folks in the NRA don't all agree on, on everything else, right? (laughs) Right. Um, Not that the UCA is a Unitarian NRA, but uh, (laughs) (laughs) maybe that's a poor, poor analogy, but, but we do this all the time. And we can mm-hmm. walk and chew bubble gum. We can we can kind of have our circles of association where we have our we have our our fellowships where we're, we're together regularly, and we have these wider circles where where we share common interests and we work together. So, um, the so the is
0: UCA that- is a, a wider circle than a church or even a denomination. Yeah, absolutely. It's something, it's something bigger than that. It's like a. A shared, um, I don't know, uh, theological advocacy group or, yeah. or something like that. I
1: love, I love that term. It's almost mm-hmm. like a special interest group, right, in politics, where you know you've got your, you've got your policy that you'd like to see implemented, and um, and so you, you, like I said you advocate for. It. It's almost, it's almost like a think tank too. I, I like to think of it that way because um, hopefully the UCA is going to bring together, the, you know, some of the best Unitarian thinkers. And give them the, the platform and the tools and the resources to, to have a much, a much wider impact than otherwise they would have. And mm-hmm. um, that, that was my big excitement. I mean, I, I very much like the idea of, of guys like me being able to find like minded, minded people, but I'd rather see, you know, the Southern Baptist convention someday in an uproar because there's a, <laughs> uh, a Unitarian subsect.
0: Well, well, they are definitely already in an uproar. <laughs> right. we, that, that part.
1: <laughs> right, But for this, us. you know, I don't want, I don't want to see the Methodists break up over gay marriage or female pastorship or something like that. I want them, I, I want them struggling with this question. I want all of Christianity to, 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 to have the opportunity to evaluate this for themselves the way that we have, to know that it's on the table. And it reminds mm-hmm. me a little bit of the, the, you know, divine foreknowledge and sovereignty arguments, you know, between Calvinists, Arminians, and Molinists, and open theists. Open theism is genuinely on the table now. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's one of the, the live options that people get to look at. And wherever you come down, I, I think that's really important to, to have all the live options on the table and be able to evaluate it for yourself, um i think we have that responsibility as seekers you know as as seekers of god to to mm-hmm. make sure that we're not uh we're not stuck in a hole and, and we don't know it
0: i, I was yeah to, 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 to sort of force ourselves into the overton window yeah. of of christological conversation in the broader i don't know
1: protestant christian community yes mm-hmm. absolutely yep absolutely that's that's my dream for the uca along with connecting lots and lots of people is is to see that see that change and and so to that um look we don't want to stick our finger in in trinitarian's eye we want to persuade people but if there are trinitarian apologists out there that want to describe how how terrible unitarianism is i'd like for them to use their entire platform <laughs> to say to say that um and so that's why you know you see unitarians taking debates and um and and going out to these audiences because, you know, you don't need to win everybody, you just need to, you need to make people aware so they can decide for themselves. And yeah. and in a lot of Christianity, it's just not, it's not on the table yet. So, and I can make some progress on that.
0: I think we would both agree that the, the numbers of people that are sitting in the pews of plain old Trinitarian churches throughout the country and throughout the world who either have confusion or perhaps some private conviction that they don't quite know the words for Mm -hmm. that aren't Trinitarian is way, way bigger than than people are aware of. And it's just that they're often isolated in their own heads and they might be, they might know that this is one of those subjects that they shouldn't speak their mind on.
1: Absolutely. We get messages from people like that all the time. I got a message on YouTube today on one of our videos with a guy saying, I'm so glad to know I'm not the only one that has concerns about this. Mm-hmm. And he wasn't saying that he was a Unitarian, but he's like, I just have concerns about the Trinity. And mm-hmm. so he responded to one of those, one of the, the three blunders in church history video uh, that led to the Trinity. And he said, this is so helpful. Thank you. And look, like, this guy's not a Unitarian yet, necessarily, or this gal. Um, but at least now the, the conversation's open for him. And if he decides that based on his best exegesis and historical research that the tradition's right, then that's him doing his due diligence and he's got to follow his conscience. But at least we've done our job in, in, in presenting the case and hopefully we'll do a better job of presenting in the future. I mean, to your point about the, the supposed monopoly of Trinitarianism on Christians, look, we, we know from surveys, you know, the last... Uh, Legionnaire Ministries survey showed 50% of respondents didn't consider the Holy Spirit a person. Yeah. So, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> they're either confused or there's half of the Christians out there that, that were surveyed aren't Trinitarians. Right. Um, and, 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 you know, James-
0: some, <laughs> and some absurd percentage thought that Jesus was the first Creature created by God, yep. and then some uh, other super shockingly high percentage uh, thought that Jesus was not God. Yes. And like you could even filter to like within Catholicism or within Evangelicalism, and it's like, all right, within Evangelicalism and shows up to church at least once a month. <laughs> and I don't, I, I'm, I'll be shooting from the hip. Maybe I'll, I'll put a link to that too because it was fascinating. Yeah. But it was something like twenty percent.
1: Or yeah, something. it was between 20 and 30% of people that basically held a Socinian Christology.
0: <laughs> in evangelical churches yes. that are almost certainly Trinitarian on their statement of faith. And yep. so, so that's like a couple million people, right, yeah. in the United States alone.
1: Yeah, it's, it's a huge number of people that said, yes, I'm a Trinitarian. No, Jesus is not God. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, so, um, so look, I, I just, I do. I think that there's massive confusion. And look, Trinitarian apologists know this. I, I heard a quote from James White a while back who said he thought maybe 5% of people in the pews had a non-heretical Trinity <laughs> doctrine in their heads. Mm-hmm. And I think he's right. Um, yeah. Partially because I, I don't know how you have a, I mean other than just doing what he does, which is say some words, but don't define all your terms. Right. Um, as soon as you start explicating it, I'm just convinced uh, you either end up in tritheism or modalism collapsing the father and the son, one or the other. Mm-hmm. Um, although or, we've got, or some- you just
0: say what you're not enough times, <laughs> right. right? Like you say, I'm not on that side of this buoy right. and I'm not on this side of this buoy. Right. But then the question, okay, so where exactly are you
1: in between? Let me, let me refer you back (laughs) to my statement of faith and my creed and good luck. Um, no, I, I agree. And, uh, that also reminds me, um, I lost, lost my train of thought. I was going to say something else about, about people's confusion about the train. Oh, the, the number of options that are on the table are growing. And thanks in part to Dale Tuggy's work so if you check out his article in the stanford encyclopedia of philosophy mm-hmm. it used to have basically three main categories one self trinitarians three self trinitarians and mysterians well, he's gone and updated it with some more categories yeah. for, 4 self Trinitarians where, who define. Which I actually think is way more common than people realize. I, yeah. I think, well, I think it's Chad McIntosh, White, right?
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, who I think has been on the channel. Um, yeah. I believe, I believe I heard him interviewed. I mean, um, I think
0: James White at the end of the day is a for self Trinitarian, the being uh, like, he makes this, that, that super strong being person distinction Right. Yeah. I was listening to Jake Brancatella, the Muslim mm-hmm. uh, metaphysician, our debate, James White, recently on the Trinity. I'm hoping to ha- talk to Jake uh, specifically on my channel about that, that awesome. debate. But like when you listen to James White, he's like super emphasizing the being person distinction. And so you can talk about the being of God as himself and you can talk about the three persons as himself. So it's mm-hmm. like so the Trinity is the Father, Son and the Holy Spirit and God. right (laughs) Right. and 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 it's really it's a quaternity but there's like two shelves right on the top shelf is the god being and then on the bottom shelf is the three persons but they're all selves and yeah and we
1: shouldn't forget William Lane Craig's view where you have these Mm -hmm. like functions (laughs) that are the three persons and 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 there's just it's it's on and on and Mm -hmm. my favorite right now and I can't remember his name at the moment. He was just on the Trinity's podcast a few months back. And I've, I apologize to him, but who argues for uh, true contradictions. Yeah. Then in some cases you can have logical contradictions that are true and all the rest of us go. Ow. Right. Right. <laughs> and, um, and, but within the Trinity uh, world, this is accepted. And, you know, it, it's kind of astonishing. I, I I'm surprised there's not um, more serious struggle and pushback between each of these camps on each other. And I, the only thing, the only way I can explain that is they're united against the common enemy of of non-Trinitarianism.
0: All right. And um, for the record, that's Dr. J.C. Beale. Thank you, Dr. Beal. Um, was Beale. the yep. the guest who argued for that the incarnation basically is a true contradiction?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, and and argued. If, if you haven't heard that podcast folks go check it out sorry for plugging the trinity's podcast that,
0: that's trinity's episode 324 and 325 I'll, I'll link in, that too in the
1: first in the first of those two he lays out what sounds like a biblical unitarian critique of two natures christology and he basically says there these absolutely are contradictions folks you know i'll do respect to to trinitarians that try to ex, you know explain it Away, um, this is just a contradiction, and we should accept it, um, which is exactly the same line of thinking that a guy like me goes down, except to say I have no good epistemological justification to accept true contradictions. And uh, and the second episode is him making his case for for why I should reevaluate that. <laughs> Someone like me should reevaluate that. Mm-hmm. I'm just not persuaded. We we don't do this anywhere yeah. else. It's totally special pleading. And mm-hmm. um, so yeah, it's it's interesting to see what the Trinitarian world is doing in response to the work of people like Dale. I I think
0: it is interesting. Once pressure is sort of put on Trinitarianism, it begins to splinter, right? It it becomes, it becomes like a hundred different things. It's like some weird hydra. And it's like, (laughs) so where, where
1: are you Trinity?
0: You know, like it's, it's really kind of, you know, bizarre.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, to me, it seems like exactly what you would expect. If the Trinity is post-biblical, philosophical speculation and it's Mm -hmm. it's not divinely inspired that's exactly what you would expect we see the same thing happen um in other religious traditions whenever we see something where we're like oh that's an error uh then it does it creates all of these spin-offs and splinters and 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 alternative ways to explain it so you know i um i don't want to lean too hard on you know the Mm -hmm. philosophy of science but you know we know how to evaluate theories and simplicity and uniformity is one. When we have too many theories to explain something, we know we haven't gotten down to the to the root science yet, right? Um, some we've made a mistake somewhere. We're lacking some piece of information. I just think the Christian church is just lacking the piece of information that God is one person, that <laughs> Jesus is a human Messiah. They don't have the right concept of of what a, a Christ was or uh, was to be, and so they're stuck. And I think in good faith, many, 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 many christians try to do their best to toe the line and understand the tradition um but they're not all church historians and they're not Mm -hmm. all um you know seminary trained theologians and those that are that's where you start seeing the fight because they know there's a fight to be had so Mm -hmm. um so yeah like i said circling back to the purpose of the uca this conversation we're having whether we're right or not i think needs to happen within christianity the same way the discussion about god's you know, foreknowledge, you know, pushing back on, on Calvinism needs to happen within the Protestant tradition, the same way pushback back on eternal conscious torment needs to happen, in my view, and other, and other elements of the tradition. I, I very much relate to, uh, to the, the restorationist identity, um, of either the Stone Campbell movement, or I, I like pointing people to, uh, Sean Finnegan's restorationist manifesto. I didn't have a term for what I was until I, read, I listened to that. I'm like, Oh yeah, that's, that's me. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. restorationism. I like that. Um, and, and I could look back at generations of my family and I'm like, that's what they were all doing there as Protestants. They were trying to continue the reformation. They were trying to gather the information they had. And that's how they ended up in a cult is because they, <laughs> they knew that, um, that where they were, wasn't right. That didn't fit with their Bible. And so they kept looking and, mm-hmm. um, you know, my in in my own family's history, I'm proud of a lot of it. There's some of it where I'm like, guys, I'd like to go back and tell my have ten minutes with my grandfather to say, hey, let's let's talk about some of this stuff. Um, but look, that's that I like to have that see that conversation happen with with, with those those of us that are alive today, yeah. and um and give people a chance to evaluate the evaluate the options.
0: Right. So so you, you we both know that there are paths towards spiritual unhealthiness that uh, <laughs> that churches or denominations can head in yep. and that that's a that's a real place uh, of, yes. of uh, authoritarian leadership or yes. other other forms of, of spiritual unhealth and yep. and we've either seen that or like honestly the church i grew up in was not a cult it was fine it was healthy sure. but that's because it had left a cult and knew <laughs> that it didn't want to be a cult uh, yeah.
1: but yeah, and i was to, to, sorry to interrupt but to, to my, my experience was not cultish because my dad was the pastor and he mm-hmm. was not like that he he yeah. he felt like he was a servant leader and and so my little part of that 100,000 people group it, I didn't have that experience, but I've talked to yeah. other people that were, they were terribly spiritually abused. Right. Yeah. So, we, yeah. sorry, to your point, yes, absolutely, we, that happens.
0: <laughs> yeah. Right. So the UCA is not a church, nor is a denomination, yep. Yep. Um, like we said, something like a theological advocacy group uh, yeah. or common interest uh, cause group. Um, but how, how do we make sure that we don't, I don't know, uh, push things yeah. in a spiritually unhealthy direction or what's our role yeah. if we see, you know, what, what because a lot, a, a decent proportion of Unitarian groups are either cults, have a cult-like reputation right. or something like that. How do we interact with those sorts of groups in a way that's healthy,
1: yeah, that's, that's a great question. Like
0: Jehovah's Witness, for example. Absolutely. You know, being like the most obvious example.
1: Yeah. So I have to be honest, it's something I'm still working through. I mean, even in my own life, but, but also in the bigger UCA picture. Um, because there are, there's a lot of these pitfalls. I, I think the first thing that we can do is we can continue to really clearly define the mission and to, to make it very narrow. If the mission is to connect people with like-minded Unitarians then anybody that's Unitarian is welcome to, you know, put your pen on the map, um and it's no endorsement of them other than they've agreed to this narrow, narrow affirmation that the UCA has. And so I, I think that's important to make sure that that, that contrary to what people would really like, people would kind of like some people I've talked to, they kind of like the UCA to become a little denomination or, 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 or. A little more specific, like, yeah. Or sponsor little, uh, little, little startup churches or something in, in its name or something like that, and I think we have to be really careful to avoid that. There are great Unitarian groups that are already doing that, and the UCA wants to empower them to do that. Um, I think the UCA has to be very uh, targeted on our on the on those two missions, and um, and if we do that, then we can avoid playing kingmaker. Uh, among any of these groups. We can avoid um being beholden to any of those groups. Um and that's why I think individual memberships really healthy. We 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 want to sponsor and 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 uh, or promote, forgive me, and bring people to to these churches that that agree with them. Um, but the UCA wants to stay agnostic about um about where where people when they come to the website, where they get directed we want to have a directory and then let individual Christians that have become Unitarians Mm -hmm. decide. Um, Although
0: do we need some sort of filter that's like, are we going to list every Jehovah's witness congregation (laughs) on our website as a, as a Unitarian church that people could go check out?
1: So this question of, of who gets, who is so far outside of the affirmation um, that they that they start violating key key tenets of it um it's something we're still working through it's yeah. we're still young enough and uh and small enough that it hasn't become a a, a key f- problem yet but yeah. it's something that the board is actively talking about what you're what you're you're pointing right. out yeah is,
0: like is, iglesia ni cristo or something like right. that like the filipino group you know that's like yep. Yeah, they, they, they have a biblical Unitarian theology to the best that I can tell, but uh, I would not, I would recommend someone go to the Trinitarian Evangelical Church before they go to that church for spiritual unhealth
1: reasons. And this is the second way I would suggest is for people that are in the UCA, uh, and particularly in leadership to be very transparent about as for me as a UCA board member, um, I want as many places as I can to sign up on the directory. I want people to have options, but as Brandon, I totally agree. I would, <laughs> I would tell a new Unitarian here are the places I'd watch out for. Here's my counsel to you. Mm-hmm. And so you see that you, you say board members have active uh, ministries doing these other things that are in the narrower circle. Right. Yeah. So Sean Finnegan's podcast it's going to actively uh, advocate for his theological views, mm-hmm. and Dale Tuggy's Trinity's podcast um, is not going to. He's going to hold his his views, and you know all of these individuals that are within the UCA, they still have responsibilities to each other, like to their fellowships, to their churches, to their denominations, and to New Unitarians, to fellow brothers and sisters um, that are coming to this. Um, to be advocates for truth and so i think if we can just make sure to keep the, the definitions tight to remember that we can we can operate in different circles and in different response we can wear different hats right mm-hmm. um i i think that's one way and we're trying to be as transparent as we can look where the the uca board is a, it's a small group it's it's five people mm-hmm. um and hopefully it's something that'll let live beyond all of us it'll become a, a self-sustaining organization that can help carry you know unitarianism in a way that maybe the unitarian congregationalists or some other uh, some other group in you know american history did and and really make it a, a major player on the on the world stage and you know that's that's going to take time and so i agree keep focus on uh on the mission i think is is the best thing but it's still something that it's something that i worry about it's something look for example i'll, I'll give you a a key um fracture point within the USA right now that we're that we're trying to to navigate the affirmation totally allows Aryans and people with other Christologies mm-hmm. to participate and like even a
0: form of on Armstrongism could have could probably
1: signed the, yeah, the statement. same so yeah again, not to out my mother, but she's a perfect example. She says, Brandon, I, I know Jesus isn't God, but I still think maybe he preexisted in some way. I I couldn't quite tell you. I don't think he's Michael. And I'm not, you know, I don't, but, but there's just enough evidence in the, in the scripture for me that I just don't want to rule that out. Um, So in biblical Unitarian circles, they're going to say, come here, sister, let's help you. (laughs) (laughs) Let's help. And, and, uh, and that's what happens in my, in my household. <laughs> we, we go round and round. <laughs> um, but, uh, but there's got to be a landing place for someone like her, for someone like me originally, for someone, you know, Dale Tuggy talks mm-hmm. about being influenced by, by sort of Aryan. Uh, Samuel, uh, Clark and- Samuel Clark. Samuel yeah. Clark types, mm-hmm. exactly, um, on his way from, from Trinitarianism to, to Biblical Unitarianism. And so there's, there's got to be a landing place for people like that to find each other um, or to find, you know, if, if you're a biblical Unitarian, why would you not want to be in communication with these people in a way that you honestly can be? Um, mm-hmm. You know, maybe you don't have fellowship with them, but wouldn't you like to have dialogue with them? And so yeah. I, I do think there's a value in, in the UCA being a, a way for the movement to interact with each other, the different, the different parts of the, of the Unitarian world. Um, and if you're worried about you know, people being harmed by authoritarian cults, what better way to have influence over them than, than to have people that are thoughtful, let's say a thoughtful Jehovah's witness who, or is trapped or, you know, in the organization because their family or for whatever reason, wouldn't you want them to come on the UCA, you know, directory Mm -hmm. and find people they can communicate with. So. Yeah.
0: I think that's another, another point that um, a lot of people don't realize is people might say, oh man, biblical Unitarianism or Unitarianism is a gateway to all these weird cults, but (laughs) we're also a bridge and a gateway out. And that a lot of biblical Unitarians that are kind of in the, I don't know, the online network are people who moved from an unhealthy spiritual place to a much healthier one. And they didn't know that there were places that were non Trinitarian that weren't perhaps the unhealthy group that they were in. And, Absolutely.
1: They're principled, and, they're principled people that were, that were there partially because of their commitment to this theological view, but they didn't know there were healthier places to go. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. so yeah, we want, we want that bridge, as you put it, to, to be there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we have to trust, like there's a, there's a, um, there's a kind of fundamental fear that I think drives um, isolationism within some Unitarian groups that we're going to be—I I don't know—tainted by these other ideas or something. And uh, I love Sean Finnegan's sign-off that the truth has nothing to fear. I mean, uh, shouldn't we be willing to, to you know, offer our, our case in gentleness <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and 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 trust that the the truth's going to win? Um, and, and let that, let that be God's job as far as the, the overarching strategy. I mean, there, I came from a group that literally built a fence around its college, (laughs) uh, as a symbol of their isolation and separateness from the world. They didn't just want to be separate from the world as in, uh, in the way that they lived and in the, in their way that they were following Christ, they wanted to be separate from the world. Uh, Um, they could build a moat. They would have, um, and it, it hurt their Christian outreach, obviously, because um, people see that and they say, what do you have to fear? What are you afraid of where you're hiding behind your walls? So to Unitarians that are, that are concerned about the UCA, I would just call on them to, that, that true love casts out fear and that we should have the courage to, to evangelize on this topic the same way you would evangelize on the gospel. And, um, and the UCA is one way that we can muster our resources to do that much more effectively we've just been scattered and isolated and and we we, it wasn't a fair fight we get in the ring and and we're this you know little untrained guy like me overweight untrained out of shape guy going against Muhammad Ali we just get pummeled and if if there are if the trinity um if the trinity is truly false like we believe we owe it to the Christian world to be out there and advocating against it the same way we do against atheism or anything else that that we, that we see as harming people and keeping them from, from coming to God. So I, uh, I guess my my argument is take heart and let's have courage and, and engage and
2: Mm -hmm.
1: we'll see. Well, you know, the, the Unitarian movement faltered and basically, basically failed in the, in the late 18th and early, early 1900s. Um, because they, they allowed themselves to be persuaded by the transcendentalists and others. Um, And so we've got examples of where that, that failing can happen. Um, But as an open theist, I'm saying, yep, that's exactly how God works. And he allows people to make decisions. (laughs) And, and so we just have responsibility for for our own, for our own responsibilities. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, And world affairs, they'll have to, they'll have to work out on their own.
0: Sure. This is a question that I asked um, Sean Finnegan. Um, what do you think are sort of the benefits, personal, spiritual, for the church, uh, what have you, of, of Unitarianism? Mm. Um, uh, other yeah. than sort of the being right in the abstract, uh, <laughs> right. what, what, what good do you think it does?
1: For me, it's, um, it's fundamental, because we, all of a sudden we have a better definition of who Jesus was. And we also have, then it allows us to have a better definition of who we are and what our role is. When you have a a human, a purely human Jesus, um, now all of a sudden his example and and our our command to follow in his footsteps, man, it takes on a whole new meaning. And, um, you know, when he's sweating blood in the garden of Gethsemane, this isn't God faking it or half of his, you know, one of his natures that's uncomfortable with what's about to happen. Uh, this is a real human just like you and I that's having to decide to submit himself in faith that, that God's going to fulfill his promises to him, even though what he's looking at is a terrible death and the end of everything. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, all of a sudden our Christian walk becomes not one of fideism or uh, sort of Gnostic um, enlightenment or something. All of a sudden it's, there's these really practical everyday life matters um that become our responsibility just fundamentally and um and i think it saves us from some of the pitfalls that that some that i would argue the reformed wing of the protestant reformation fell into um when you have a when you when you have a Jesus that's sort of a Socinian Jesus or, or a fully human Jesus, you you can't have some of these other doctrines. Total and this is probably what scares some people about Unitarianism is it isn't just the Trinity that falls. It's a whole package, in my view, a whole package of doctrines that get challenged. And so for me, it's atonement. It's uh it's it's um total it's basically every point in tulip, I think, gets challenged by it. Um, your doctrine of, of foreknowledge gets challenged, I think, because all of a sudden you have a human that could have said to God, nope, I think I'm going to run. I'm, like the apostles did. You, you, Jesus could have run. Um, and it, it gives a whole nother like, d- dimension to, I think, what we're doing here. And I, I think it redefines what God's end game is for each of us. You know, this theosis mm-hmm. idea is, is interesting. It's, it's, I, I think there's an element of truth where we're supposed to be conformed to both christ's image and he's the the express image of god right and we're returning to what we were supposed to be with adam Mm -hmm. well how does that happen um i mean now i'm just i'm just sharing my my personal theological cards but i think this idea of a metaphysical regeneration that all of a sudden resolves our our situation um i don't think that i don't think that matches the story at all i think there has to be a much more earthy physical um change over time through willful obedience that has to happen in us. And for me, I focused on the, the, the definition of faith that, that's, this regarding trust. And we're supposed to be both trusted by God and, and proven trustworthy. So we have to trust God, but also we have to prove that we're trustworthy. I mean, if, if we're folks that believe in a, in a coming kingdom, um, I said this before I heard William Lane Craig ask why will there be no sin in, in, in heaven? You know, and in, in the, the eschaton. And he said, God will remove our ability to sin. <laughs> and I said, then what was the point of any of this? <laughs> mm-hmm. if, if that's ultimately the, the solution, right? So there has to be some other way that, that we, that God can bring people into a kingdom and, and be willing to trust them. So for me, uh, Unitarianism and a, a human Jesus it changes the level of expectation for me in my life. It's a long way to say sure. I have much higher expectations for myself than I would if I were a, a, a Trinitarian uh, covered by grace alone and never able to, to emulate Christ.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, the, that when there is this lack of ontological separation or distinction between christian and jesus and and it's not like we're saying there wasn't something special about jesus right sure there there were sure uniquenesses to jesus but absolutely not uh the hypostatic union being the the (laughs) specific way to describe that uniqueness but but an immaculate conception of his mother conception or i don't know however else you want to put it but that he really was like us that yeah. that he he was a human being that he had the challenges that we face that and he had the opportunities that we also have opportunities for i think that that makes I, I don't know i just it makes the gospel so much more exciting to read for me i i feel like trinitarians feel like i think the basic thing is this that that the trinity often makes Jesus an object of reverence rather than an exemplar, a thing to have faith in rather than an example of what faith looks like.
1: I love that. Yeah, it's a great Mm -hmm. point. Yep. So not told. that we
0: don't have faith in Jesus in a certain way, right? That he's, you know, <laughs> loyal to us. Like in the same way I have faith in my parents and, you know, right. faith in my wife and stuff like that. There's even a special faith in Jesus, but it's not like he is the thing that I'm, I don't know, that is somehow other than from me. He's a right. brother like me who shows me what it's like to relate to Absolutely.
1: God. We want to have faith in Jesus as our mediator and a high priest, but we want the faith of Jesus in the God, the father, Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. And, I, and I, I, I know Trinitarians will, will claim the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just not the same drama when the divine nature is offered the thing Satan offers him, right? Yeah. When, when you have the human Jesus who just has had the bomb, he's been confirmed as the Messiah, right? In his own mind, and he's driven into the wilderness. These are real, tangible things that he's being offered right Mm -hmm. all the kingdoms of the world that is exactly what the messiah is supposed to receive right Mm -hmm. so what he's being offered is a shortcut you don't have to follow god all the way down this path that 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 leads to the garden of gethsemane and it leads to the cross nope i can just give you what you're being promised right now Mm -hmm. and how many of us if we're offered the 50 billion dollar check are like no thanks don't want the 50 billion dollar check I'm good with what I've what I've been been given here. I want to be obedient to God. That mm-hmm. becomes real his yeah. real life. He he forsook everything. Wife, family, uh respected his own family. <laughs> um, you know, all of the promises that were to the Messiah, he forsook them for a time in ho- in, in faith that God was going to eventually fulfill those promises. And that takes an enormous amount of it's enormously um uh, admirable and, and worth emulating. And so, yeah, our atonement theories all start changing, I think, and, and our doctrine of man and just all these things start, start being, I think uh, matured and become clearer from it. And um, I'm still in that process. I still find it exciting. I still go back to, yeah. to, to ideas that, that I'm, you know, caring for my, from my youth and, and challenging them and using this frame saying do they make more sense now and i just keep finding that the answer is yes and so even if you know there are lots of reasons not to be a trinitarian (laughs) uh we've got a video where i I listed 10 of mine on the uca (laughs) website uh or youtube channel and there's lots more um but one good one is it makes more sense of your systematic theology i think and uh there have been a few unitarian systematic theologies out there but i I'm basically working on my own in my own head for myself (laughs) Mm -hmm. in, in cooperation with people that I respect, because I, I think ultimately we're all doing that, right. We're all kind of building our own systematic theology in our head piece by piece. And, um, and I just think this is a really important piece of that to set, to set the stage.
0: Yeah. I think, I think another exciting thing, there's something it's, when you have less of an emphasis on mystery Right. Mm. And it's not like Unitarians are claiming, oh, we understand every last detail about God. Like, no, right. we've never said that. And no right. one ever says that. Right. But but it, it seems to open up this horizon of learning instead of setting a wall about how far you can go. Yeah. And that it seems to kind of just invite you into this continued path of growing to learn more and more about God Absolutely. instead of being like, well, you can get this far and now you're done.
1: Right. Yeah, it, it, it values seeking, right? Because we're constantly told to seek, ask and knock. And there's like, mm-hmm. if, if you look, do a word study on seek, it's mm-hmm. just everywhere um, that we're supposed to seek God. And that's what's valuable is when you rise up and when you lie down, you're teaching your kids and, and you're constantly in prayer and you're constantly in, in reflection and you're constantly obeying his commands in seeking him and in, in trying to understand him. Compared to the mystery card, which leads, in my opinion, to fideism, it just forces you into valuing ignorance, in valuing the the trust you, the ignorant, the blind faith that you have, and maybe that's unfair. I don't want to I don't want to uh, cast um, cast people in in an unfair light, but for me, that's what it would have led to. It would have led me to saying it God is intentionally keeping me in the dark to see if i will keep walking in the dark and i just don't think that's the god of christianity it's not the god of of the old testament it's not the god of the new testament that's constantly revealing himself through through his messiah and to his apostles i just i just don't think that works and i think the kind of um that kind of phidiasm that i think exists within the, the the church tradition i think it goes directly back to the to the trinity and to the hypostatic union where people are just discouraged from from thinking about it and maybe that makes us sound like rationalists. but like that's a term i'll take somebody wants to insult me by calling me a rationalist i'll take that as opposed (laughs) to the alternative (laughs) right
0: (laughs) so are you so are you self-identifying as an irrationalist
1: that's right (laughs) (laughs) what's what's my alternative to being a rationalist (laughs) So <laughs> that's
0: a good point. Um, yeah. So what what do you think? It, what do you see happening? What are your predictions for like the next couple years of the Unitarian movement? What do you think you can see happening? What do you think is sort of stirring? And what do you kind of hope will happen?
1: So my <laughs> we're, we had an uh, there's a there's been a long uh, discussion here recently on the uh, U- UCA Facebook group about the gifts of the spirit. So I'm about to expose myself as not a prophet. <laughs> um, uh, I, I, it's hard for me to, to know. I, I see there's an enormous amount of interest in the public. You know, we, we, some of our videos, we'll, we'll sponsor them and we'll have 20,000 Trinitarians see the ad and watch the video.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And, um, and there'll be a couple hundred that are in, <laughs> enraged. And so they, they come voice their, their frustration. And then there will be uh, a few people that are like, Oh, this is really helpful. Thank you. Uh, What next steps would you recommend? And I'm watching the, the, the proliferation of Unitarian materials online, Um, more and more people adding their voices. Um, I don't, I don't know some of these, I've been trying to, I've been trying to answer the question that, that, that you're asking for myself for a little while to try to help bring about the, the version of that future that I want <laughs> <laughs> and studying how religious movements succeed and fail and, and what they do right and what they do wrong. And as long as it stays decentralized um, as far as control, but very focused on message, they tend to, they tend to succeed. And so the pitfalls that I see are sectarianism within us, Mm -hmm. um in an effort to stay pure in a misguided effort to stay pure i would say um people choose not to work together on this issue they decide
0: this is a weird trait of unitarianism that it often attracts people with a slightly disagreeable personality because (laughs) you know it takes some guts to disagree with the vast majority opinion And it often takes people who are very comfortable coming to their own conclusions, right? Um, So, you know, like all of those things we sort of self-select for those kind of traits and people, it's a little bit hard to get a whole bunch, a large group of such people to to agree about very much and to work together. Um,
1: Very true. But and I yet- think
0: that those people are sort of like the bleeding edge too, mm-hmm. that, that there yeah. are the more agreeable cooperative unity focused people out there and, <laughs> and, 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 w- and we'll get them in eventually too. And we need a right. little bit more of that sometimes.
1: Yep. And we need, I think we need the, the leadership. Um, we need people with a voice to remind us all, I need this reminder sometimes too, that within this inner circle of our fellowships, Absolutely, we want purity, right? but within these larger circles of association, we want effectiveness, we want to mass our resources, so we can have an impact, and even the most ornery independent minded Unitarian <laughs> loves that. Yeah. They want that impact on the world. That's why they're is. And we is, we, we could way. list a
0: couple names of such people between <laughs> us, I'm sure. But yes, 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 I think.
1: And if if any of you are listening, feel free to message me and say, was it me? And I can say, <laughs> yep, I was thinking about you. <laughs> uh, look, I'm that guy. Sometimes I get I get fired up when I when I hear some, you know, some Trinitarian apologist make a really bad argument and, and people and people eat it up because, you know, there's a there's a quote from a, uh, an old Aaron Sorkin movie that you know, people, uh, people are just, they're, they're eating the sand because there's no water to drink. And the, the other character says, no, people eat the sand because they don't know the difference. Really cynical. I just don't agree with that. I don't think people eat the sand because they don't know the difference. They haven't been offered the water. And so if Unitarians can just, if we can keep offering the water, um, I don't care how many different buckets it takes. Bring your own water carriers on your own, um, but let's all dump the water on the Trinitarian fire. Um, I mean, I, I think about if if you want a, a non-religious uh, example. I mean, if we look at the American Revolution, I'm something of a history buff, military history nerd. Um, look like it was the ornery people that got that started it was the it was the sam adams and the you know yeah i'll take um, personal
0: credit for uh, yes. <laughs> for the sam adamses yeah
1: yes <laughs> um but then it it took it took steady leadership and it took eventually ultimately it was the moral it's just like the civil rights movement too it was the moral authority that the group had that mm-hmm. ultimately won over enough people to have the movement succeed um you know well, luther king it was his appeal to moral authority that american and said "Yeah, that's right and i have to i have to do something about it and um and it was the same thing you know it was, uh common sense and you know other things in the american revolution that we probably idealize a little bit or guys like me do but uh But that that brings the public around to saying, no, this is this is more than just an intellectual exercise. This is a moral cause, and that's what I think the Unitarian movement is. I think it's a within Christianity, it's a moral cause to bring truth as into a a realm that's as important as more important than any other realm that we engage in in life. And so I have no idea where this is going to (laughs) go. Is my answer, Um, but I'm. It, it depends entirely on, on how we, how we all interact and how, what we all do. And, uh, so, mm-hmm. so we'll see it. And that makes it exciting. It's the movement's still small enough that it could, it could disappear, could be wiped out. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there, a lot of these denominations are aging. Um, a lot of them are pretty small. Um, and you know, there's only so many, you know, uh, lost sheep out in the woods, like yours truly <laughs> that can, you know, stumble on a podcast and say, yo, yeah, this is the thing. And, and want to devote themselves to it, um, you know, before the thing can bleed out. So look, I think it's a snowball and it, little things, 200 people in Tennessee,
0: mm-hmm.
1: it's not world changing in and of itself, but you know, you look at the Protestant reformation, it started small too. Mm-hmm. And then with the right headwinds and the right uh, the right circumstances, the world can be changed. So mm-hmm. I, I genuinely want to see that. I, I, uh, I came from a church group that believed that the end was imminent and that there was no hope uh, for reaching the world. <laughs> and that's why they built their fences and mm-hmm. waited for Jesus. Um, I don't believe that anymore. I believe we have personal responsibility. We have 2000 years of history of people that could have done that. Um, and that people that stood up in courage for the truth. And we also have the villains. And I mean this in all due respect people that were sincere Christians, but they were arrogant and they were innovators or they were cowardly and they were traditionalists when they should have known better. And so that's my, I don't want to be an an arrogant innovator on top of what the the, Jesus, the apostles gave us. And I don't want to be a cowardly traditionalist that, that just knows it's easier to stick with, with what he's been given if it's not true. So, um, so for me, it's a moral cause. And, um, and I, I hope that by the time I'm dead, there are millions and millions of people that have been seriously influenced by Unitarian theology. And like I said, I want to see big groups struggling with this, um, because it means the truth's being spread. Mm hmm. Struggling in the good sense, in the yeah. best sense, yeah, in the way that in the <laughs> grappling with grappling this with, question, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. We don't want to burn down the SBC, but no, we wouldn't mind. No, they I want to, to become to take, Unitarian, yeah, and to succeed <laughs> yeah. even more than it's succeeding now, absolutely, which absolutely. honestly doesn't seem that hard, but uh, <laughs> not to pick on the SBC, but uh, <laughs> no, there, there,
1: there is, is no reason, there is no reason that, um. That Protestants, look, I get for Catholics, this is off the table, right? Their their commitment to um, the way God is working in the world and his revelation, it excludes Unitarianism as an option. I get it. Mm-hmm. But for Protestants, it seems like the exact opposite. No. Why, oh, why do Protestants suddenly claim... turn into Catholics on this one subject? All of a sudden, I yeah. why is William Lane Craig offering the buoys in the channel offered by a conciliar c- conclusion why In 451 ad In 451 ad <laughs> right um when he's supposed to be sola scriptura or prima scriptura I don't, I don't know what bill yeah. is but why it, it to me it, it boggles the mind it's the protestant world i just think is it is just right for an uh, um for this to become obvious to people and for it to stop being a, being dangerous and to be c- considered and the day look there's um there are my favorite way of measuring this on on theological topics is if i search for a three four or five views book on whatever the topic is sanctification or divine foreknowledge can i find it and is one of the views presented uh the view that i'm looking at right that's how it gets justified is as legitimate it means it's in the discussion so um the more times that in the discussion people are saying, okay, here's social Trinitarianism, here's Latin Trinitarianism, here's monarchical Trinitarianism. And oh by the way, here's a couple of different flavors of Unitarianism. Look at all these and see which fit with your Bible and with history. When that's happening, that's we're Mm -hmm. winning. (laughs) That's that's what
0: here's a question. Are monarchical Trinitarians Unitarian?
1: (laughs) I think depends on them. It depends on the MT. Yeah. (laughs) Um as I understand it, the key claim there is the father alone has a mm. So I would argue they're uh, Dr. Tuggy would say they're Unitarian because they have one ultimate, one ultimate mm. God. And then all these subordinate gods, <laughs> there are at least two subordinate gods. I think it's just polytheism. That sounds a lot like <laughs> the Greek pantheon to me. Uh, if you have, if you have Zeus who has a and you got these others that, that well, have it all gets strangely close thought.
0: to armstrongism right it, oh it yeah is, i yeah. came out of that
1: man like i did that <laughs> i i did mt i did monarchical trinitarianism binitarianism <laughs> um no and it and it totally um still runs into all the same problems that the incarnate the two natures incarnation stuff has it does, yeah. no. um and i don't think it really solves it it allows them to say that they have one god the father alone mm-hmm. which because of their new testament They want to say, and I appreciate that. And I applaud them for it. That's exactly right. We have one God, the father alone. And so did many, many, many of the church fathers, right? Right. They said the same thing. Um, And then they turned around and said, and Oh, we have another God (laughs) like lower G God or whatever. Um, Thank you origin. And I guess, thank you, Justin Martyr for that. Um, So, yeah, I think it's just sort of originist or, or, or something. Um, And, and I think, it's helpful as a wedge. Like I I wish Bo Branson and the people that think that way, all the luck in the world. Um, because at some point they're going to, that's, that's going to stir the pot. And, um, and if they're right, that's great. And, and the truth will be heard. Mm -hmm. Um, but if they're wrong, it's, it's going to make obvious why would they do this? Why would they reject all these other models? Um, and and I think people need to need to ask that question. Why would someone like Bo Branson say no? All the other Trinity models on offer are wrong um, because they don't square with the New Testament. They don't identify the one God as the Father alone. Why would he? You know, if a Unitarian says that, it's like ah, oh, cultists, But Bo Branson can say no. I'm a Trinitarian, and I'm saying this. And all of a sudden, at least for some people, that's okay. Yeah. So it just shows how how much this is cultural. And not-
0: I, I feel, I feel, yeah, I have interesting thoughts on monarchical Trinitarianism, right, mm-hmm. like Bo Branson is sort of leading the wing from the Orthodox and Joshua Sujuade is sort of leading mm-hmm. it from the Catholic wing. Um, and I feel like once people hear what they're saying, then all of a sudden they can much more easily understand what Unitarians are saying. Yeah, right. Yeah. It kind of, it gets the conversation going. And yeah. I, I mean, like, I will say, monarchical Trinitarianism is the only form of Trinitarianism to me that comes close to making sense at all. Yeah. And, and that I can totally see why Bo Branson and, and um, people like him are persuaded by that. Sure. Um, But it, it, it's building this weird bridge, right? It's getting the Trinity, Trinitarianism circles and the Unitarianism circles strangely close together. Yep. And you know, to be honest, I've seen some people go from Unitarian over to yep. Trinitarian via the monarchical yep. Trinitarian bridge, but there's yep. no... Re- Bridges have a weird thing of facilitating traffic <laughs> in both directions, and it, right. it'll be hard to see which uh direction is more popular in the long run. So totally agree. I, it, I again, of, it
1: gives people sorry i apologize but i'm just thinking it gives people this this menu of options and they realize it's a spectrum when you start Mm -hmm. realizing there's a spectrum of options now it's not so obvious that we're all trinitarians are we if there's this wide spectrum how how where do you make where are you going to draw the line from this end of i don't know what is three self i don't know where you want to put the ends yeah <laughs> unitarianism yeah. and three self trinitarianism right uh, uh-huh. call this the most polytheistic version i don't know um because you could argue i could argue M T is the most polytheistic but anyway right. <laughs> um where are you going to draw the line and say okay here's orthodoxy stops here and here's why um okay, but that why is likely to start slicing in here too. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I, it's why Dr. Tuggy's work is so valuable. I know sometimes people beat him up about in debates like that his exegesis isn't as good as they would like or whatever, but it's because he's playing out of position a little bit, right? Mm-hmm. And that's yeah. not to rip on his, his, his biblical work is good too, um, really good. Um, mm-hmm. but, he's, but he's just killer, on working out the logical implications of these different theories, what are people actually saying, holding yeah. their feet to the to the fire and explicating their Trinity view. And he's the one that's saying, there isn't one Trinity view, there are Trinities, mm-hmm. And as soon as that becomes really understood in the mainstream, and it stops being seen as an abundance, you know, what's, what's, the, what's the expression, uh, it's an embarrassment, uh, a, uh, uh, yeah, an embarrassment of riches, <laughs> right. yeah, embarrassment of riches, right? And just mm-hmm. an embarrassment, uh, <laughs> the the better, and the more the more Christians are going to have a chance to to tackle it themselves. Because look, there's an element of this that it's a useful um, it's a useful mystery, right? There's something fundamentally useful to a, a clergy system, yes, with having a, with having a mystery or a uh, a highly complex theological view that they can. Explain to the laity and mm. there i don't want to i mean i think a sociologist would say oh yeah that's totally why the christian this is why this happened right they they yeah. have a sociological that, that, explanation that's,
0: uh, that's generally my explanation so why did the trinity win back in the day and i think that yeah. like you could say as the roman empire was descending into the dark ages you could even compliment it a little bit and say, look, the literacy rates were falling, the economic situation was falling. Um, for Christianity to survive, it had to be very hierarchical with a small elite because the, the masses were not gonna be able to be literate and to think yeah. very much for themselves. And it had to turn back into like a, a religion for peasants before it could, you know, before Europe climbed back out into the middle ages and the Renaissance and stuff sure. like that. And that the Trinity kind of matched that structure in that there's the the elite who knows and understands, and the uh, the follower, the laity who has to trust and, and be told that they can't understand. Right. Yep. I think that that kind of th- that that those two things paired together very well, which was part of the reason why the Trinity won.
1: Absolutely, and, and historians like. Uh... Well, I'd like to reference Keegan Chandler's book on Constantine, which I found really helpful. A lot of Unitarians are like, I don't know that I care about Constantine. Mm -hmm. But what's really helpful about it, I think, is it shows how the way uh, the ruling structure um, needed to parallel, the religious structure needed to parallel the ruling structure for there to be stability in in a society. And so Roman emperors would often favor a theological view that mirrored the current governmental structure. If there were four tetriarchs or whatever, then man, all of a sudden, there's four gods that we're worshiping. And look at that. <laughs> yeah. And uh, and if Constantine wants to unify the the his people, he needs a one sun god or one god of Christianity um, with an envoy between God and men. Mm-hmm. Boy, that if if I have a people that believe in that and I can position myself to look like that guy, that works really well for me, sociologically. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think there's lots of different ways to look at this from, from, from history where we can totally understand why the doctrine developed the way it did, um, both from like a, like a theological development sta- sta- stage, you know, from, from what I think was the original view to this kind of logos view with an origins innovation of eternal generation, and then you step into the Nicene argument and all of a sudden you have this uh, equality of natures. And then, you know, it takes another 60 years. You're like, well, it sounds like we've got to unify these two. So we don't have two gods and right, we got to worship
0: them. one God somehow. So we need to, to take this multiplicity
1: and back engineer a unity from it. So now you got the, the being person distinction introduced and, um, and you can just see how it happens. And now that we've got that, how are we to explain one of these three uh, hypotheses is is visible on Earth when he's supposed to be a part of the of of the one being that's you know? And under classical theism, is boy, it becomes so hard. You know, it's yeah. immutable yeah. and and <laughs> eternal and and unchanging and timeless and all and without this, parts. Without you, parts, you divine simplicity. That... <laughs> yeah, Jesus had some parts, right? Right. <laughs> um, and and the and the the human uh, the human nature sure seems like a part of the <laughs> hypostatic union to me. And like I anyway, we can track that I think, and when we can do that for people, um, I I found that some of the most stark evidence, and then you could go back to your New Testament and say, all right, is this a plausible reading of John? Is this a plausible reading of, I don't know, Paul's view of Jesus? Is, is he the original creator, or is he the creator of a new creation? Is you can start, I think it becomes a live option and so you can compare your readings all of a sudden you're not trapped within one uh with one one within one perspective and everybody else obviously just can't read all of a sudden you can start seeing it through different perspectives and you can weigh them and evaluate them against each other and look that's the danger of fundamentalism right that's that was the problem with my group is you lack the ability you lack the training you lack even like the moral um compulsion to really see it through other perspectives, and it's part of why I really value all of the Unitarian work that's going on out there, is usually it does that well. It just mm-hmm. and your channel is a perfect example of that. We have to really understand our Trinitarian friends if we're going to engage with it. We get we got to make sure that we've tested it and that we're um, that we're not building straw men. Yeah so easy
0: like one thing that i i really admired about jake brancatella when he was debating with james white is it was clear james brancatella or jake sorry jake brancatella knew the church fathers better than james white like and and james white gets put in this really weird position when the muslim apologist knows the church fathers better (laughs) than the calvinist you know you're gonna you're gonna start to look silly um yeah I think I think an interesting question, like we sort of talked about how there might be some kind of social sociohistorical reasons for why the Trinity won. And then it's interesting thinking about, well, what's the sociological situation of religion now? And Mm -hmm. what does that favor? Mm -hmm. And, you know, with literacy rates way above 90 percent and the Internet and stuff like that, a more egalitarian form of doctrine that uh, is open to everybody. And yep. that's open to expect, inspection and transparency and those sorts of things, as opposed to being the reserve of a clerical class makes yep. a lot of sense. Although so, sometimes I feel like we might be living in the age of a dying empire ourselves, but <laughs> hopefully not.
1: <laughs> yeah, parallels, I feel that. But, <laughs> but I feel that. not too many parallels. Look, this, this is going to sound like it's pretty far afield, but I was watching a documentary about the development of The alphabet and the development of writing and it described the incredibly high literacy rates within the roman empire that were directly correlated to the availability of egyptian papyrus yeah papyrus was it was it was easily accessible yeah Yeah, right and even a a day laborer in the roman empire in rome could have a paperback right and 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 he could he could read and um And 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 Paul, who
0: clearly didn't have very much money, could purchase some paper and write a multi-page letter
1: to a church and send it off. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And that ends with the Roman Empire and the development of vellum, where now you got to cut an animal in half (laughs) and tan Mm -hmm. it and do all this work to create the writing surface. And the, the they were even talking the difference in the writing service, papyrus is easy, you can just scribble something out quick. Well, Vellum, you gotta scrape it out kind of on it, and it's this really valuable thing. And all of a sudden, books become these rare commodities for the the, the rich and the elite. Um, of course, and then Gutenberg's press hits, and all of a and, sudden well, you and see, paper
0: paper making technology from China. And the yes. printing press at the same time, so you've got yep. the synergy, at the synergy of those two things: cheap paper and cheap production.
1: Yeah. Absolutely, and out of that comes a reformation. Mm-hmm. Wow, um, yeah, I think there's a correlation between what happened with with that uh, that explosion of information and what's happening now. With and if internet, I were a Trinitarian, yeah. I'd be very worried about that. That that you and I can go to Wikipedia and immediately have access to the Church Fathers. Uh, Translate out of the Greek into the English, and we can mm-hmm. evaluate it for ourselves, right? We right. don't have to be in seminary. We can read. We can
0: read every church father that's been translated into English for free right now.
1: Yep. Right. Yep. A- and how many can. people in history had that access? Almost nobody. No, tr- yeah. <laughs> yeah. Almost nobody. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. And we're talking people f- fifty years ago, not right. not five hundred years ago, not even three hundred years ago. 50 years ago it wasn't like this. Yeah, 10 years ago it wasn't like this. Yeah. Right. And now it's
0: like, oh, you want the dead sea scrolls? Those are over here. There right. You, go. you know, <laughs> it's exactly. And so so I feel like these sorts of things you can see kind of the podcast YouTube media scape changing politics, changing mm-hmm. all sorts of other, you know, science and all these other sorts of things are grappling with the same transformation of uh, information accessibility. And I think that it's perfectly reasonable to expect there to be theological and ecclesiological transformations too. And us Unitarians are like, bring it on, you yeah. know, <laughs> thank heavens. <laughs> and, <laughs> right. And, and I think that not every church is feeling like that right now. I think that there are a strange yeah. number of Protestant churches who feel more like the Catholic church when the Gutenberg press came out than like Martin Luther did when the, uh, the printing press was made available, yeah. then vice versa.
1: So it's time to be on the right side of history. We don't want to be the people that bound up the Anabaptists and threw them in the in the river in a bag and let them drown. You want to be mm-hmm. baptized? We'll baptize you. Don't be on the wrong side of history on this thing. Uh, you know, don't be the people burning the folks at the stake. Mm-hmm. Uh, we want to, we want to be on the right side of this. If if history continues for another 500 years, don't be with the people that squandered all the information that spent their time watching you know people dancing on TikTok or you know watching you know reality tv you, you had access to the entire library of the church fathers and you don't know who they are you have access to 50 translations of the new testament and you're reading the message you've got forget I'll, or exclusively
0: the message maybe i have a copy, the have a copy of the message. message so you can check the message sometimes it's yeah. fine. just,
1: <laughs> <Not> to, <laughs> just don't, don't to rely on, on the message not to pick on all amplified bibles but yeah. um but you know, the, 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 I think we have this accountability because of our time. You know, we, we have more free time than ever before. We have more resources, more information. And yeah, I personally feel just accountable in a way that, you know, if, if I was a peasant in a French field before the Reformation, I that guy that guy who was leading his family and going to the, the mass, he was doing with what he had. Um, mm-hmm. And I gotta count on on God showing that 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 understanding that circumstance, but I have been given all of this, and to whom much is given, much is required. So I, I think, um, I think that drives Unitarians. We 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 feel this really fundamental responsibility about this, and uh, and look, even if we were wrong. We would have this fundamental responsibility, right? Because mm-hmm. we got to run it all the way down. We should challenge it all the way until somebody persuades us, or until we persuade them. Because um, it's just not okay to to sit uh, to sit on the sidelines of something so important. So um, that's why I'm here. That's why I'm exercised about this thing.
0: Yeah. Well, that might be a, a good closing remark. I think <laughs> I think that was that was really well said, uh, Brandon. I, I've really enjoyed talking with you. Uh, I'm excited about what the UCA UCA is doing, and I'm excited for the conference uh, this October.
1: Me too. I can't wait to see you there and and to see anybody else that's uh, that's listening. It's gonna be it's gonna be fun. All
0: right. Thanks, Brandon.